0: Welcome to Biblical Tapestry episode podcast 18, 2 John, Living in Truth and Love. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. In this episode 18, we continue in our study in the book of 2 John. What do you think about the statement? What we live is really what we believe. Isn't the proof in the action and not mere words... What about living a life of truth and love? How is that lived? All right, we're going to be in Second John, starting in verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth and keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home, and do not greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Back to verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth and keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So today, we dig into the core of this short epistle. The positive message John starts with regards a good report from the dear lady's children. As discussed in episode 17, there were three interpretations of the dear lady being an actual person, a church body, or the global church. The specificity of this letter leads us to believe that John wrote this letter to a familiar church who was the Dear Lady. Regarding the warnings later about false teaching, this makes the most sense. John found church members who walked in the truth and were obedient to the commands from God. How does he find this out? We don't know. Perhaps he met with some of the members and was pleased by their walk in truth and obedience. It could have been reports from others that John received. But regardless, this community had a reputation of being devoted to the truth and devoted to God. But because John used the word some, the word ek in Greek, this some makes a few believe that not all were walking in truth. But this is not clear. Obviously, John is still concerned about false teaching. This truth, as discussed, is not simply a belief, but a demonstrable way of life. So what is the truth of the gospel? What does it not mean? It does not mean it's reason or what we think. It is not tradition or what we have always done. It is not experience or what we feel. But what it is is revelation. What does God say? God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, his son, and in his word. This settles the matter of truth, and that needs to be lived out daily in the lives of believers. Verse 5 says, "I." So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You know, if you think wrongly, you will live wrongly. The mind is then confused and the heart is corrupt right thinking gives us the ability to live right living. If one is true, then certainly the opposite is as well, and for John, to live the truth is a supernatural response to the love we experience from the gospel. Daniel Akin writes in his commentary, Truth is truth regardless of its age, for all truth ultimately finds its source in God. This, this truth, becomes, because of its origin with God, was always there and was from the very beginning. That truth is, we should love one another. What does Jesus say the night before he was crucified to his disciples? John 13:34 says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The last instructions to the disciples from Jesus before he was crucified was to love one another. Walking in truth and love go hand in hand, they cannot be separated. Verse 4 lays out the truth, and verse 5 follows with the pattern of love, as John tells us in this first letter. In First John, I believe it's chapter three, starting verse sixteen. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So, action and in truth. Truth and love are actionable. Truth is something we believe, and truth is also something we live. Verse 6 says, This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. John defines love and action for us in verse 6. Love is demonstrated by walking or living in obedience to God. This command is nothing new to the readers of John's letter, This was also from the very beginning, and the beginning is most likely the beginning of John's reader's Christian experience, rooted in the gospel message. Paul gives us an example of walking in love in 1 Corinthians 13, this beautiful love chapter that Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. There it is again, the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So with that in mind, John gives us a warning in verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So now John's writing is marked with imperatives for his readers. John's statement that many deceivers are in the world of his day, and they certainly proliferate today, the danger is real and immediate. And it's made worse in our modern lives by the Internet of falsehoods. Many claim today that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh or state he was not who he claimed to be or deny the resurrection. At the time of this letter, this was the beginning of Gnosticism, which was in full flower in the 2nd century, and it was developed from the Greek thinking that all flesh is evil, therefore Christ had to have been a spirit, completely discounting the message and the purpose of the gospel of Christ's sacrifice made on the cross for all humanity. The blood he shared for humanity. These were deceivers, frauds, and antichrists. The heart of all false teaching is a defective view of Jesus. And I think that's worth repeating. The heart of all false teaching is a defective view of Jesus. Verse 8 says, Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. What does John tell us here but to watch ourselves and be on guard, and the reason being a full reward is at stake? Well, the question is, what does that mean to a believer? The Bible is very clear that we cannot lose salvation as we don't own it. We can't lose what we don't own. Christ holds close all those who accepted his love and believe in him. In John 10:25, he says, I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand and I and the father are one and then the familiar verses of John 3:14 just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life for god loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son so that everyone Who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him so the reward statement in this verse must be taken in context with the following verses perseverance is an indicator of possession by Christ And to cling to him alone is the only path to receive all that God has provided. The benefits of salvation start at belief in Christ and are culminated at the death of the believer and ultimately in Christ's return. Standing with Christ proves that you truly belong to him. But verse 9 says, Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching... This one has both the Father and the Son. So the loss of reward is clarified starting in verse 9. When someone adds to the message of the gospel and testimony of Christ Jesus, they then leave the basic biblical truth behind. If you say no to the gospel, you say no to Jesus, you say no to God. When you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you have direct access to God the Father who sent him. They cannot be separated. You cannot add to the simple gospel message. You cannot subtract from it or divide an allegiance in Christ or multiply requirements to salvation. These are all mathematics of cults. They want to add. They want to subtract. They want to divide. They want to multiply. But the simple message remains as is. Verse 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. These two verses cause some consternation as it seems to be unloving. The immediate context must be the determining factor for what John is stating. This is not saying that you cannot converse with a person who is spiritually confused, as that is really the correct loving thing to do. However, if there were false teachings among the flock, they were not to get support for those beliefs, such as money and a place to stay, which was so important in the first century. So, what if a person from a false belief comes to your home today? How do you lovingly minister to them? To share Christ is not an option to avoid, although admittedly I did that several decades ago. I think we should be hospitable and gracious. I will leave inviting the false believer into your home as a personal issue. I think it would depend on the circumstances and the receptiveness of the individuals or a willingness to listen and not simply argue. I don't think a salt and light Christians should be argumentative, but let the simple message of the gospel be enhanced by the grace of God. Love them as Christ does and let God work in their lives. Be ready to defend the gospel message or present it, not to be confrontive, but present in a loving way as long as the conversation is open and not closed. If the conversation is closed, then shorten the exchange to avoid a confrontation. False teachers who are looking for your support should not get it or have it handed to them legitimately. All right, verses 12 and 13, that close out this short letter. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Look at the elder's conclusion to the letter showing a pastor's heart. The mention of visiting face-to-face in Greek, the word estoma, is literally mouth-to-mouth where face-to-face is our translation, but it does not show the intimacy of the desire to speak with this church and its members. And then John closes with a greeting from a sister church. I pray this podcast finds you well, and next episode 20, we'll start in our study in third John about four men and their reputations. I pray this new year is a new start for you, God bless you and take care.